Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. I suppose most of you know, but if you don't, that uh, Lois Richard is Jim Gillette's niece. So it's a big loss there as, as well with what she's gone through and now losing her uncle uh, as well. We're thinking of the glory of God in the Old Testament tonight. We want to start in Exodus chapter 40. We turn to a number of scriptures tonight. Exodus 40. So we've thought of the fact that uh, the way glory is presented, the first reference to glory we saw was the glory that Jacob had as, as the father. Uh, Laban's sons complained, he's taken our father's glory. Uh, we have the word wealth, but it's the word glory. And then the second usage was with Joseph, or where he says in Genesis 45, 13, go tell my father of all my glory that you've seen. And so the glory of the father, the glory of the son, uh, sort of bookends in, in Genesis first and second uh, mention. And uh, in the New Testament, of course, it's the, the glory, uh, the announcement of the birth of Christ, and then uh, in Revelation 22, he is uh, that glory in heaven as well. So again, uh, the bookends. You find this type of thing so often uh, in Scripture. Here in chapter 40 of Exodus, uh, the tabernacle has been uh, constructed set up, and we read in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord uh, filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. If the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire over it by night in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so the way the camp was set up, of course, you read of the fact that uh, there was four quadrants, uh, three tribes on each side. Uh, you recognize that there's really 13 tribes in the 12 tribes of Israel because two of Joseph's sons became tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. It's interesting, again, all the lists give you 12 names, but there was 13 uh, tribes. And so Levi was spread around the tabernacle, but all the other tribes, uh, you know, put out and the four banners marking them. But they all looked towards the tabernacle, so it was the center. And so when you came out of your tent in the morning, what you saw was that cloud over the tabernacle representing the presence of the Lord. Uh, it just figuratively, it's a, a wonderful thought. You're looking for direction for the day. If the cloud raised up, we're moving. If the cloud's there, we're staying. But uh, associated with that is this, this descent of the glory of God into the tabernacle. And so in that inner sanctuary, you had the holy place and then the holiest of holies. So you had two rooms inside that inner uh, tent. And so the glory of God resided in that second uh, second room, the inner inner room, and it was over top of the Ark of the Covenant. And so when the uh, priest ultimately would go in, 
uh, you know, that glory uh, was there. But it really became the center and focus of the, of the nation, looking towards that and, and realizing, recognizing that the glory of God was in there. When Solomon built the temple, you have a similar thing happen. The glory of God filled uh, that, that temple. Now, we don't see a visible display, <clears throat> but it mentioned last week when two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. And so the glory really is here. There's a sense in the, in the New Testament where we individually make up the church. But when you think of the word priesthood and you think of what Peter describes us as, they're collective nouns. They're not individual. We're never called really priests individually. We're a kingdom of priests. We're a priesthood. And so we exhibit that when we get together. That's shown in a collective way. And of course, when we get together, the Lord Jesus in our midst, in a sense, that glory is, is here. We gather to his person and to his, his name. One of the things that transpired back in 1828, 29, 30, when uh, a group of men started meeting in the house of a Mr. Hutchison, is they, they recognized that the church was not uh, an earthly structure, but it was made up of, of believers. And it's not the building, but it's the, the gathering of God's people that were you know, was the focal point. And so out of that, of course, uh, a movement started and various uh, assemblies uh, sprung out of, out of that. So here, uh, the tabernacle, uh, back in chapter 25, verse 8, the command to Moses was, see that you build it according to the pattern I've shown you in the mount. And so it was very specifically designed by God. And as we mentioned last week, it speaks so eloquently of Christ uh, every aspect of it has to do with, with him. And so we're not surprised then that the glory would reside there. Then look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, because this wasn't the first glimpse of glory. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse uh, 23 33, I think it is. Sometimes I can't read my handwriting. Oh, Deuteronomy 5, that helps. Deuteronomy uh, 5, verse uh, 23. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with men, yet still he lives. And so Moses is recounting. This isn't mentioned back in Exodus 20 when uh, the Lord appeared on that mountain and gave the Ten Commandments. But here in retrospect and review, uh, Moses mentions that was a visible and verbal display of the glory of God. The mountain shook, the, the fire, the smoke, all that uh, that took place. Uh, Moses had, had had a verbal declaration of the glory of God, but that was a visual uh, declaration of the greatness and, and glory of God. So those are, are two uh, situations. But I want to focus on Isaiah's glimpse in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, and then what Ezekiel saw. So 
we'll focus on Isaiah 6 and then Ezekiel chapter 1 after that. So Isaiah 6, a familiar portion. I'm sure most of us have looked at it and enjoyed it many times in the past. This chronologically, the events of this chapter would have taken place before chapter 1 was written. So Isaiah is recounting his call and commission by God. Uh, it's not a salvation passage. It's his call to service, his commission to be a, a minister for God. And so it precedes really uh, the, you know, the start of the book. And so it's in the year, he says in chapter 6, verse 1, King Uzziah died. Now Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. And they were good years. Uh, Uzziah, of course, had tried to usurp the position of a priest and was stuck with leprosy. But his, uh, his rule and reign were marked by prosperity and good years. Uh, following that, his son did well. His grandson did not do well. And there was a decline. After Hezekiah, of course, things declined dramatically. So Isaiah's uh, writing in the, the 700s and uh, looking at ahead, the Assyrians are on the threshold. Uh, in 705, the Assyrians took the northern tribes away, took Israel away, depopulated the northern half, uh, and, and later on, they came to attack Jerusalem. Of course, the uh, Shennacherib and then the, the killing of the 185,000 by the angel in one night. But here, uh, after, there was 52 years, and so Uzziah's died. And Isaiah sees this glimpse of, of glory. Now this also has significance because in John 12, 41, the Lord Jesus made reference to the fact that Isaiah saw my glory. And this would be the only thing we could look at to say that Isaiah had a glimpse of, of glory. And so the Lord Jesus is saying he saw my glory when he spoke of him. And so uh, when we think of that, and we think of uh, this, the splendor of heaven, but the Lord Jesus said, oh, that was a display of his glory as well. We keep in mind what we mentioned last week about uh, he left the visible display of glory, veiled that, and came to earth in the form of a servant. And so what we see here is what the Lord Jesus referred to in John 17, verse 5, when he talked about the glory he had with the Father before the foundation of the earth, the glory that he had left behind. That's on display uh, here before he comes to earth. So what does Isaiah see? In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. What a, an amazing glimpse. And so heaven is opened for Isaiah, and he sees this visible display of the glory of God. So he sees the Lord on a throne. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing for us, to know that that throne is occupied. We live in a world that, you know, we've mentioned it in prayer, and who knows where this, well, we know where it's going ultimately. 
Well, you look around us today, and, and even in uh, our lifetime, probably everybody but Ty that's here tonight, in the, the lifetime of everybody else, uh, we've seen how far the world has, has gone, uh, morally and spiritually, in, in so many uh, ways. And so we can take solace in the fact that the Lord is on the throne. What Isaiah saw, what was coming in his day, would be a comfort to him. And that's certainly a comfort to us. Habakkuk 2.20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Our God is on uh, the throne. And that's a wonderful thing. When I was in youth group, that was a different millennium, right? It was a long time ago. Um, we had a song. Uh, we'd sing, What though wars may come with marching feet and beat of the drum, I have Christ in my heart. What though nations rage as we approach the end of the age, I have Christ in my heart. God is still on the throne. And it goes on from there to talk about his care over us. And so it says, so let come what may, whatever it is, I can only say I have Christ in my heart. We have that assurance. And what Isaiah saw is still true today. Uh, the Lord is sovereign and on the, on the throne. And then is the, the train or the you know, the, the visible effect of his presence fills that uh, temple. Now, it's a heavenly temple. It's not the earthly temple in view here. It's a glimpse of heaven, not a temple on earth. But then it uh, mentions the seraphim. Now, the letters I-M in Hebrew are just our letter S. And so cherubim, seraphim, just means there's more than one of them. So we could say seraphs as opposed to seraphim, or seraph for a singular. Uh, but this is a word that's used in other places. There are uh, words in the Old Testament that are not so obvious to us in our translation. Uh, and seraph is used on two other occasions, again, not obviously. But in Numbers 21, when that uh, event took place where the, the serpents bit people and they were dying, and and Moses put a bronze serpent on the pole. It says, set up a fiery. And then in our translation, it says fiery serpent. But the word serpent is in italic, so it means it's not in the original text. So set up a fiery. Well, that wouldn't make sense, but that's the word seraph, a burning one. Set up a seraph on the pole. Spoke of the holiness of God. So obviously it was a bronze serpent because it's mentioned in the previous verse. But then it uses this word seraph for the burning holiness of God. Also, you know, there's five offerings in the first five chapters of Leviticus. The first three are sweet savor offerings. The next two, the trespass and the sin offering, are non-sweet savor. And the word for burn there is the word seraph, to consume, to burn. But again, it's the holiness of God. It's a different word used in the first three. It uh, is a word that means to convert into incense through burning. And yet, uh, the word seraph is applied to sin and trespass offerings, the burning holiness of God. And so, these angelic beings are in the presence of God. Now, I would suggest that it's a position that Satan once occupied. He was the anointed cherub that covered. Uh, and so, in the, sometime in eternity past, when he... Uh, rebelled and convinced it would seem, according to Revelation 12, verse 3, a third of the angels of heaven to follow him with the thought that I can do a better job than, than God is doing. I can, I can 
you know, govern better. And so that rebellion took place and Satan lost that position. It would seem that these seraphs now guard the holiness of God. And so they're proclaimers then of his, of his holiness. They are seen with these wings. It's not explained why they, uh, they cover uh, their face and their feet and they fly, but perhaps uh, humility and, and worship are suggested by the covering. But they make a pronouncement as well. And it would seem, uh, again, you have this in Hebrew, that these two lines are what we would call antiphonal. That is, one group says, holy, 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 uh, is the Lord of hosts. The other seraph says, the whole earth is full of his glory. You have this sort of, you know, echoing back and forth. You have that in a number of the Psalms as well. Again, it's not obvious in our translation, but uh, a Psalm like Psalm 96 is antiphonal, where the song leader sings the first two verses, the congregation the third, and so on. You have that type of, of thing. So here they're proclaiming uh, the holiness of God. And why uh, three times? Holy, holy, holy. Well, from our perspective, we would say perhaps suggestive of a trinity, the fact that three times that is worth. But it's also, again, in Hebrew, uh, like when you read the Old Testament, you might have noticed you don't find adjectives, right? Uh, we use adjectives. Somebody is pretty ugly. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of an adjective, isn't it? Uh, but Peter, for instance, uses them, uh, exceeding great and precious promises. But you don't find adjectives in the Old Testament unless they've been put there in our English translation. So for emphasis, in Hebrew, they would pluralize a word or they would repeat the word. So holy, holy, holy is for emphasis. It's repetition. Uh, so again, plural uh, for instance, uh, there's a word in, in Isaiah 53, verse 10, the word death in Hebrew is plural. Well, you can't put that in English. You know, with the rich in his deaths, well, you can't do that. But it's to give the intensity. It's to give the sense that it was extreme. And so that's what they did for emphasis, either repeated something, earth, 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 holy, 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 or put a plural on a word that we wouldn't pluralize. And so here they're proclaiming uh, the holiness of God. And of course, we sing sometimes number 14 in the black book, holy, 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 uh, taken from, from this passage. But they also say the whole earth is full of his glory. And we thought a bit about that last week in terms of the creatorial work of God. And it's certainly true, the whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, this is my father's world, you know. Everywhere I turn my eye, right, I see evidence of his, of his glory, of his handiwork. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing. There's a, a verse that occurs, I think, three times in the Old Testament. Uh, it occurs in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's true. Someday, everybody will know about the glory of God. But the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. And so that's what they proclaim. And notice the, the reaction, the response in verse 4. Everything inanimate, inanimate, these aren't living creatures, but everything is shaking because of this proclamation of the glory of God, the holiness 
of God. And so what's Isaiah's response? He says in verse 5, I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphs flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, uh, here am I, send me. And so here is uh, Isaiah's cleansing and commission. Uh, who will go? I will go. Now if you take time to read the rest of the chapter, he's given an impossible mission. Uh, the Lord says, I want you to go preach to these people, but be sure they're not going to listen. They're not going to pay attention to you. You're going to preach but they won't respond. And so that's a very difficult mission to go on, to know that you're doing the will of God, but these people aren't going to listen or respond. But in light of the holiness of God, Isaiah looked at himself and said, you know, I'm undone. Uh, it's a very strong uh, word uh, indicating, you know, he's, he's finished because of he's seen the holiness of God and he recognizes what he is. I'm undone, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean lips. But the Lord responds and cleanses him. Now this isn't salvation, it's, it's his commission to serve us. But it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. Now go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, Ezekiel has a glimpse of the glory of God. And again, Ezekiel's in a very difficult period of time. Uh, Ezekiel's writing after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have attacked Israel twice already, Jerusalem twice. He comes a third time in 586 and destroys the temple. But in 605 he came and he took Daniel and his friends captive. He came back again uh, in 597 and put down a rebellion. Then he came back in 586 and destroyed the temple and took most of the people away. So Ezekiel's writing in the midst of this period of time, very difficult period of time in Israel. And the Lord gives him a glimpse. And if you read chapter one, it's an amazing picture in terms of imagery. Now, when you're reading prophecy, we take prophecy literally uh, as a method of interpretation, but we recognize that uh, poetic language is used or prophetic language is used. So. Uh, rarely is prophecy, A, this is going to happen, B, this is going to happen, C, this is going to happen, it's just laid out like we would like it. It's, it's uh, you know, a type of, of literature that's unique. And so there's imagery uh, in it. But what he sees is these wheels within wheels, and he sees these figures. Uh, so, for instance, in verse 10 down to verse uh, 12, he talks about these four living creatures. And you look at the images, the four images match the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the way the Lord Jesus Christ is presented uh, in those Gospels. But these wheels go to and fro without, throughout the earth. And again, it's just showing the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. He knows what's going on and uh, is over all. But then he sees above these, he again, like Isaiah, sees one sitting on a throne. And so verse, verse 26 and above 
the firmament. Over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone, and the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around us. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so he has this tremendous vision, the start of his ministry, that God knows uh, through these wheels within wheels and these, these creatures going through all the earth, and God is aware of what's going on. And then he shows them again, above it all, there is a throne, and there is one on the throne, sitting on the throne. Now he uses similes, uh, he keeps saying like, because he's describing things that are unreal or unusual to us. And so he's describing them in terms that we can understand. Uh, often, for instance, in the book of Revelation, heaven is described by what is not there, because those are things we can understand. But it's hard to understand all that we will see there. But here, uh, what he sees is this wonderful uh, throne, and on a throne was one like a, a man. And again, I would suggest this a uh, an appearance of the Lord Jesus. Uh, there's two words that are applied to appearances of God in the Old Testament. A theophanies, an appearance of God, or a Christophanies, an appearance of Christ. Uh, obviously, what we saw in Isaiah, based on John chapter 12, was a Christophanies, Christophanies, an appearance of Christ. He appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Jacob. He appeared as the captain of the Lord's host to to Joshua, he appeared to Gideon, to Samson's parents. He appeared on a number of occasions in the Old Testament. Well, here is one on the throne and a display of his glory. Well, there's two things that are connected. There's fire, and then there's this thought of a rainbow. And those are suggestive. Uh, when you think of the fire, again, seraphs, the burning ones, the holiness of God. But when you think of a rainbow, you think of the grace of God, don't you? Never again will it destroy the earth with a flood. And so you have these two sort of things that we would say are in opposition to each other, but are connected in the person of Christ. Our God is a God of holiness, of justice, but he's also a God of grace and of mercy. And so that's what uh, Ezekiel gets to see, like the appearance of a rainbow on a rainy day. It's the appearance of the likeness of the Lord. Now what's What's uh, Ezekiel's response? Look at the end of, uh, of the last verse there. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. I heard a voice of one speaking. Isaiah looked within and said, I'm undone. I'm, I'm un un unclean. Ezekiel falls on his face and worships him. Uh, the word worship in the whole Old Testament just means that, to do obeisance, to bow down before. And so that's his response. And I would suggest that that will be the response of, of everyone who sees the glory of the Lord. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12, you'll notice, The Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from, from his place. And so that's announced. Now there's, there's a progression. I just want to point this out because, again, it's, it's remarkable. Where 
Ezekiel talks about uh, God's, God's glory. So in chapter 3, uh, verse 22, And the hand of the Lord was upon me. He said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. So I rose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. And then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, Go shut yourself in your house and so on. Uh, again, a commission. But here again, he sees the glory of God. What does he do? He falls on his face. That's what we'll all do when we see uh, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go to chapter 8. He again sees this in verse 2. He sees a similar uh, glimpse and, and vision as of what he saw uh, in uh, chapter chapter 1. But then he also sees what's going on in the temple. And he sees paganism and idolatry going on in the, on the temple. And that leads then to chapter 9, verse 3. Where it says, Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, where it had been to the threshold of the temple. So there's a, a visible movement. Remember, when Solomon consecrated the temple, the glory of God filled that place. Now as Ezekiel watches, that visible display of glory is raising itself above uh, the temple. And then when you go on to uh, chapter uh, 10, verse, uh, verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. So there's a, a movement of the of the temple. And then go to chapter 11, verse 23. So the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. So here's a movement. Starting from the temple, it rises up, and then it's taken, the glory is seen on the east side, the Mount of Olives. And then it's gone into to heaven. Now, that's just a pattern that, again, has significance. When David fled from Absalom, that's the journey he took, weeping up the Mount of Olives. But when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, went uh, out of the city, um, you know, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then out of the city to, or again, to the Mount of Olives, ascended to glory, a similar type of journey. The glory left the temple and left the Mount of Olives and ascended to heaven. But that glory is going to come back again. And so if you go over to chapter 43, this is after Israel was restored, the Valley of Dead Bones and so on. Israel is back in the land and uh, turned back to the, the Lord. And so there's a future glimpse of glory. Verse 2, Ezekiel 43, 2, And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chibar. I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces toward the east. 
the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so that's going to happen in a future day. Christ is coming back, of course, and he will be in Jerusalem. Uh, the book of Ezekiel ends with these words, the Lord is there. It's actually a compound name of the Lord, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And so that glory will come back someday. We see the Middle East now and see the, all that's going on. And there's no evidence of, uh, of that glory. But uh, chapter 44, verse 4, he also brought me by, uh, by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And again, what does he do? He falls on his face. And so that's, that's the prospect. Uh, Terrible things in the Middle East today, but we can be sure that ultimately this will take place. And you know, the hymn writer has said this, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And so, yes, the glory departed. Uh, Israel rejected Christ. Someday they'll turn back to him. There'll be a new temple in the millennial kingdom, and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ will fill uh, that temple. So we can be uh, sure of that. So those are two wonderful glimpses of glory and uh, the response. And I think fitting responses. We see ourselves for what we are, but we see him for who he is. Isaiah, I'm unclean. Ezekiel, he falls down and he worships. And that's our, our position as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these glimpses of glory. And we Thank you that we can anticipate a day when we will see that glory. We'll see the king in his beauty. We'll behold that land that is far off. We just thank you for that prospect. And uh, we thank you for the fact, too, that there's coming a day when every kneel bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so we thank you that we can uh, rest secure, uh, firm by faith, in the fact that you are still on the throne, and your purposes, your will, uh, will be accomplished. And so we thank you for that. We again commit ourselves to you. Just encourage our hearts as we think on these things. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.